Why are all these stories here together? Is it that they were sort of left over and the gospel writer decided to shove them all in in one spot? Or are there things that link them together to give it some purpose for the, that they're all in there, all these little short parables? They're all about the kingdom. We know that that links them together. But there's probably more to that than, than just that. Although Jesus is obsessed with talking about the kingdom. It's the central element of what he talks about, particularly in Matthew and in Luke. It becomes the central part of his story. And the stories he tells are, are all about this place called the kingdom. <clears throat> and it was a deliberately chosen term. Jesus chose the term kingdom. I mean, he was, as we know, he was very critical in, of parts of his, of his culture and religion, which were sort of combined anyway. Um, he, says, he said to the religious leaders, you know, you put heavy burdens on people that you yourselves can't even carry. He wants to re-aliven what it means to be in connection with God through Judaism. And he's more obliquely critical of Rome, the Roman Empire in which the, uh, under which the, the Jews suffered. Choosing the term kingdom was a deliberate choice against the term empire. The Roman Empire controlled the whole world. The kingdom was something that the Jews understood because they had, on a couple of occasions, had for short periods of time, while one superpower was falling and another was rising and there was a gap in between, they were able to flourish as their own kingdom, running their own affairs. And of course he used the term good news all the time, which was directly the term that the Romans used whenever they wanted to make a proclamation from the emperor across the empire. They would begin with the word euangelion, which is the Greek, which we translate to good news, and then they would give the proclamation. Jesus used exactly the same term and then gave a completely different set of proclamations. So he was very keen on this idea of the kingdom. So what does link them together. Well, other than the fact that they're all about the kingdom, one is about size. It's obvious that in each of these stories, there's a contrast between the size of the, the, the environment and the size of the element within the environment. The seed, tiny in a massive field. Yeast in dough, which turns out to be about 50 kilos of dough, which is a, a huge amount of dough. Treasure, small treasure in a vast field. Pearl, one pearl in a market full of pearls and one net in the vast ocean. So whatever the kingdom is about in Jesus' mind, it's about a little bit going a long way. Something that might be unnoticed or easily missed. A small thing that makes a huge difference. Jesus has often heard in, in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke saying, those of you, at the end of a story, those of you who have ears, hear. Well, of course, most people have ears. And some of us might be going a bit deaf, but we can still hear. But there's a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? So maybe it can be snuck up on us. It can be so small that it's unnoticed, and if we don't pay attention, we miss it. There's another link, too between all of these stories. Something happens in each story. There's activity. It's not just a thing. The kingdom, it turns out, it seems to Jesus, is not somewhere you live, when you go to heaven when you die, but it's, the kingdom is somehow that you live. It's an experience. 
Jesus said the kingdom, in Luke, he said the kingdom is among you. It's within you. It's amongst you now, in this moment. It's not something you possess, but it's something you participate in. And Jesus, of course, chose the term kingdom for one of the reasons that I, I mentioned before, the kind of link back to the days of autonomy. But we would use maybe terms like the commonwealth, uh, of God, we might turn, use terms like the world of God. I've been thinking about using the term the climate of God because climate is not something you choose to live in, it just is. You can gripe about it, as we often do about the weather, which is one of the vagaries in the climate, but you can't move out like you can if you don't like your house. It's just the climate. You don't live in it. It just is. And whether you acknowledge it or not, it still is. Whether you notice climate change or think it's a hoax, it's still climate and it's still changing. Climate, in a sense, does its work in secret. And that's one of our big problems. Climate change just doesn't seem to be a problem. Like, I don't actually experience it. I know it's supposed to be a little hotter and a little drier than it was, but, you know, most of the time, I'm not a farmer, I don't experience that. It's changing slowly. It kind of doing its work in secret. So I think it's got a nice, it's a nice way of helping me think about it a bit differently. So what's the climate like here? What's the work that's going on here that I'm not necessarily aware of? What kinds of things are taking place? Or as in the poem from R.S. Thomas, what kind of quite different things are going on? Okay, mustard seed and yeast, they kind of go together in this story because it's about seeding, it's about infiltrating, it's about transforming. Mustard was an invasive weed in this part of Palestine. You didn't so much sow it as try and control it. You didn't much so much want it as try and get rid of it. And you couldn't do much about it because it just turned up. And we know what weeds are like in our gardens and in our wheat fields. They're hard to get rid of. They just do their work regardless of what we like or don't like. And yeast works the same way too. It infiltrates the dough. And you know if you're interested in baking and you like to eat sourdoughs, which are the kind of trendy thing over the last decade or so, um, a sourdough uses the yeast from the air. So if you mix up flour and water, whether you want to put yeast into it or not, if you leave it a, a, around long enough, it will start to, t to take in yeast from the air. Like yeast just does its work. And the one th interesting thing about yeast is it just takes over the whole dough. You mix it up and before long the whole dough is taken over and it all rises up. It happens when you're not watching. Once it starts, it won't stop. You, once you've introduced yeast into dough, you, nothing you can do about it. If you somehow, for some reason, want to have unleavened bread, you have to start again because that lot is now leavened. It, the yeast is going to go everywhere. It starts small and we, we're not always sure where it begins or how it begins. But before you know it, everything has changed. What seemed obvious changes into something new and different. Once it was obvious that we shouldn't allow women to vote. It was straightforward and obvious. And it had to be argued at great length by some very courageous women and some men 
before that changed. It seemed so obvious not to allow women to vote, and then suddenly it didn't. Now, imagine getting up and saying, I don't think women should be allowed to vote. You'd just, you'd be a nut. Previously, not that long ago, it was the other way around. If you got up and said women should be allowed to vote, there were all kinds, and you can read these, that they're embarrassingly and sometimes funny. There's one article in uh, an American newspaper when um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was beginning the process in the United States at the end of the 19th century, and they said, what's going to happen to men? If women vote, who's going to mend our socks? You know, it just, it's like, who would even, it's just so nuts. It made sense and then suddenly it didn't. It all changed. In our culture, it's made obvious sense that we should employ people as cheaply as we possibly can and pay them as little as we can get away with and have as little um, rules around employment as we possibly can. So we employ people as casuals, people who are security guards, aged care workers, meat workers, hospitality workers. And now it doesn't. Now it doesn't make any sense to do that at all. At least to thinking people, people outside of the current federal government. We know that if we pay people properly and we give them good working conditions, then when they need to stay home because of they, they might have symptoms of COVID, they will. But since they're not, we've got the mess in Victoria that could end up here any afternoon. It seemed to make perfect sense to just do everything as cheaply as we possibly can and treat people as just movable bits that when we need them, we take them, when we don't, we don't, and they can just go wherever people who don't have jobs go. And now it doesn't make any sense at all. Things change really quickly and they just seem to have happened. So whatever the kingdom of God is about, whatever the climate of God is, it starts small, can go undetected, but it doesn't stop. A really good example is Circle of Friends. If you don't know about the Circle of Friends movement, uh, it uh, began here in South Australia, and it is a group, it is what it sounds like. Circles of people who are friends, getting together, making friends with newly arrived people, refugee and asylum seekers, and doing whatever it is that they need to do in order to become part of the community. It's sometimes about raising money. It's sometimes about giving people um, help in filling out forms. Uh, sometimes about taking people to uh, dates with their immigration attorney, whatever is needed. These circles operate, there's one little circle that operates here uh, in, out of Hope's Cafe. And they, they operate all over the place and they don't make a big deal about it. Um, it's now a registered charity, so people give money and it's all sorted out and we've got a proper system worked out. It, it just works brilliantly and the more I find out about what the circle of friends have been doing around the country um, over the last 20 years, it's just extraordinary. The individuals that have been supported and are continuing to be supported and then the number of people who were refugee asylum seekers who've been able to establish themselves, they're becoming members of circles of friends or starting their own circle. It just gets going and it doesn't stop but it happens secretly. Most people wouldn't have a clue that it's going on. And Circle of Friends, well, they could do with a bit more cash all the time. They're not about advertising and making a big deal about it. Whatever the, the kingdom of God is, it's happening underneath. And if you're not paying attention, you miss it. Then there's treasures and pearls. This is something to do with openness. And 
experiencing. The pearl seems, the story of the pearl seems to be about a merchant seeking out what is important. There's pearls everywhere in the market, but this one, this is the important one. This is the one that makes sense. And finding treasure in a field seems to be something about being surprised by what is important. You think you know what's going on. You think you know what, what everything looks like. And then suddenly something happens and it surprises you about what's important. And this happens to us, of course, all the time. Sometimes the surprise is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's a diagnosis of a terrible illness for ourselves or somebody we love. And things change really quickly. And what's important changes really rapidly. But we need to be people who seek out. And we need to be people who are prepared to be surprised, delighted. You might know C.S. Lewis's um, autobiography was, was called Surprised by Joy, which I always thought was the best name for a book and the best name for a life, Surprised by Joy. And we know that people who suffer with depression, as some of us do, some of us all of our lives, some of us from time to time, one of the signals of depression is the sense that you just don't care. Nothing matters that much. Nothing is that interesting. It's all just grey. And we know that's wrong. It doesn't feel right. And we know when people we love have that experience, we know that we don't want that for them. We want their lives to be full of energy and life and to be real and not just sort of bland or as, as someone I know who's suffered from depression most of their lives and I've had the same experience, you kind of feel like you're behind a glass wall looking at everybody. Everyone's living, you can see people are crying over here and you can see people are laughing over here but it just doesn't reach you. It's a terrible way to be. We need to be engaged in life, seeking out what's important being surprised by what's amazing. So whatever the climate of God is, whatever the kingdom of God is, it's about exploring and receiving, it's about experiencing, it's about being fully human and fully alive. And then the final one is the net. Net goes out, drags everything in. What's really interesting, and I didn't know this until I looked at all up about it this week, the word fish, which we have in the text, goes out and finds all the fish, isn't in the text. We've had to add that. What the text is just basically saying is the net goes out and drags everything. Everything that's in. All kinds of things. Fish and plants in the ocean that belong there. Fish, things that are at home and are beneficial. And also junk. And we all know about the, the, the plastic waste that is in the ocean, poisoning the ocean. So the, the net gathers everything. All the good and beneficial things and all the poison and all the junk. And it's all going to be gathered up without distinction. So whatever the kingdom is, it's a gathering in of everything. Later, what will be poisonous will be tossed out. Later, all that is in you, that is shadow, that is dark, that you want to hold away from yourself and from those you love and from anyone else, all that rubbish, that'll all get sorted. That's what Jesus is saying. But for now, don't try and divide things up. Don't try and be this kind of person and that kind of person. Don't try and divide up people from what they say or do or the way they dress or any other thing. Just gather everything in. It's only later that the poison will be taken out 
and what is full of life and joy and beneficial energy, all of that will be gathered up and the world will be put right. I don't know when that happens. I think it happens from time to time in each of us in a miraculous way. I think Jesus is certainly talking about some period of time in the future, maybe when we die. Maybe some point in time in the future, it's not, not clear at all what Jesus means when he talks about coming again. We could talk about that for hours, but sometime in the future when it all gets put right. And as Martin Luther King used to say, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Well, it, it might, but it, it is long, isn't it? But everything will be gathered in. That's what Jesus says.